We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to finish out the week by going back to this Facebook post by a friend of mine in Florida, a post from a pastor from North Carolina who's arguing that the Bible doesn't say anything about the consequences of homosexual behavior, but says a ton of stuff about stoning women when they get a divorce. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Okay, and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you so much for listening into the show. Today, we're going to finish out the week by talking about this Facebook post by my friend Bruno down in Florida, where he posts this pastor's sermon, or at least an excerpt from it, where this pastor from North Carolina is making the rounds. His stump sermon is essentially this. The Bible is silent on the issue of the consequences of homosexual behavior, homosexuality, doesn't say anything about it. At least that's what this pastor claims. And by inference, I guess my friend Bruno in Florida bought this, believes this, or at least at the time did. Hopefully, as Bruno and others have engaged in this debate, they've uh, changed their minds because that's just not true. The other thing that the pastor says is that the Bible is replete with evidence that women were supposed to be stoned when they got a divorce. Problem with both of those statements is they're not true. It's just not accurate. I don't care if you're a Christian or not listening to me right now. I don't care if you believe the Bible is the Word of God or not if you're listening to me right now. Anybody engaged in this debate, in this conversation, if you have an open mind and you're reading a book and somebody references the book falsely and says the book doesn't say this, but it does say that, and you go and look at the book and that's not true, the person referencing the book didn't do their homework or did their homework and is now being deceptive, lying to you. I mean, basic research, basic common sense says when somebody refers back to an author or a book and they do so inaccurately, there's a problem here. I mean, when I defended my dissertation at Michigan State University, if I had done that, my committee during my defense of the dissertation, would have said, wait a second, Piper, you're referencing these authors, but you're wrong. These authors didn't say what you're claiming they say, or you're misrepresenting them. You're, you're saying that somebody did or did not support a point of view in a false way, an inaccurate way. Therefore, we're not going to allow you to get your PhD because your research is faulty or you've demonstrated that you're unethical. You're falsifying your data. I mean, this is the way it works, right? That's why you have a defense of your dissertation when you're pursuing a degree. They want to make sure that you've done your homework and you've done it accurately and you can defend it when you're challenged. Well, this pastor in North Carolina would fail that test. He wouldn't be able to respond to his dissertation committee in, a, in, in an effective way 
they would either dismiss him from the program because he just demonstrated he's a liar and he's willing to manipulate research and data to his own subjective end, his own, uh, his own opinions rather than pursuing the facts. Or they'd say, we don't believe you're unethical. You just were lazy. You didn't, you didn't do your homework. So we're going to send you back and we want you to correct these errors in your research. So I want to talk about this today. And before we take a break, I know some of you might be buying into the response that says, why, why are you conservative Christians always talking about sex? Why are you fixated on this LGBTQIA issue? And the response is, we're not, but our culture is. It's not, it's not the conservative Christian that's constantly bringing this stuff up. I'm not the one who puts this stuff out there as a headline for the daily news. I'm not the one who's out there waving a BLM flag either. I'm not the one who's out there waving a critical theory flag either. I'm not the one who's out there waving a Planned Parenthood flag or marching with Antifa or raising the black Marxist fist in rebellion to the establishment. I'm not the one doing that. Now, why do I bring those things up? Well, if we want to have a debate, those who disagree with those agendas respond to those agendas and say, we disagree because we think they're unhealthy for our constitutional republic. Ideas have consequences, and you've brought your ideas to the public square, and we're going to respond to those ideas in kind because we disagree. We didn't bring them here. You did and for us to remain silent in the face of what we consider to be bad ideas for ourselves and for our progeny, for our homes and for our neighbors, what we consider to be ideas antithetical to our culture, to our constitutional republic, as well as our faith. For us to remain silent and not to respond to you, would be akin to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer warned of when he said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. So I'd, I recoil against this accusation from those, maybe even listen to the show right now, who say you're fixated on these sexuality issues. Well, I'm not the one saying on a, on a minute-by-minute basis that, Children in elementary school should have the right to redefine their sexuality if they want to. That boys aren't boys and girls aren't girls, and if they want to, if they want to transition into a biological sex that isn't their own, then we should support them. I'm not the one who's waving that flag, but I am responding to it. I'm not the one who decided that we should have an entire month in the United States of America dedicated to pride, one of the seven deadly sins. And according to C.S. Lewis, the sin that leads to all other sins, the complete anti-God state of mind. I'm not the one who declared, let's celebrate that stuff for an entire month. But I am the one that's going to respond to it. I'm also not the one who posted this thing on Facebook from this pastor of North Carolina who's saying that the Bible says something that it doesn't. But I am the one responding to it. Silence in the face of this evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. We have an obligation to respond. Even when we're accused of being fixated on these issues that are so prevalent in the nightly news, 
to not respond to those just because people are trying to embarrass us and say, you guys have a strange fixation on this stuff. No, no, no. We don't. We're not the ones putting it in the nightly news. We're the ones responding to it because it represents a complete breakdown in our culture because it is a complete degradation of what it means to be human, what it means to be alive even, in terms of the Planned Parenthood, pro-choice, abortion issue, what it means for children to enjoy their innocence rather than have it stolen from them by adults who are the ones with the strange fixation, these liberals and progressives that want to impose their agenda their confusion, their political and sexual agenda on children who, without that adult imposition, wouldn't even be thinking about this stuff. This is predatory behavior. This is not good education. And I'm not going to just sit back and be quiet about it just because somebody's knee-jerk reaction to try to shut me up or shut you down is you guys have a strange fixation on this. No, 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 no. No, I've said a thousand times on this show, if you want me to stay out of your bedroom, shut the door. Stop opening it up and forcing everyone to watch and celebrate what you do. If you want it to be private, stop talking about it. Stop putting it out there in the public square. And don't try to shame us into silence when you do. When we react to it and say, no, we don't want our kids watching that. And frankly, we'd prefer you take it back to the privacy of your bedroom rather than making it a public discussion all the time. So today, I'm going to respond to an article that was posted as a rebuttal to my point, to my response, to my friend Bruno's post, my friend from Florida who posted this North Carolina pastor's terrible sermon where he's making false claims about the Bible. And a progressive person following this debate on Facebook posted an article in response saying that the church, the conservative Christian community, is absolutely wrong when it says the Bible is, number one, against homosexuality, and number two, against gay marriage, and by implication, against the trans movement. I'm going to respond to this article that a progressive follower posted in response to this debate. I'll pick it apart piece by piece. Let's take a break. I'm Dr. Everett Piper. This is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So in the second half of the show, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to respond to this article that was posted in this Facebook thread by a progressive follower of this particular exchange. Again, my friend Bruno, um, in Florida, posted this excerpt from a pastor's sermon. I researched it and found that the pastor's from North Carolina, and he's using this sermon out on the stump. He's saying this stuff frequently. It wasn't just a one-time oopsie there where he had his um, his facts wrong. I mean, I, we cut, I'd cut the guy some, some slack if that were the case. I, I probably said stuff on this show that I shouldn't have said, and if, if I was wrong, I need to correct it. I need to acknowledge it apologize for it, move on. And hopefully those that are listening to me or did list, listen to me would accept that. I mean, all of us make mistakes when we're communicating. And if that were the case with this pastor, then so be it. But it isn't the case. It appears that this is a stump sermon, meaning that it's a sermon he's using out on the circuit 
he has made these claims repeatedly, where number one, the Bible's silent on the issue of homosexuality, or at least the consequences of homosexuality. Excuse me. Um, And number two, that the Bible repeatedly um, calls for women who get a divorce to be stoned. Neither one of those things are true. And I've made that point in a previous show. I've made it clear. I've made my point clear repeatedly throughout the course of this week's broadcasts. Now, why do I think this is so important? Well, I think I kind of gave you some reasons for my persistence in addressing this issue in the first half of the show. So let's not belabor that. Let's take the last few minutes of the show to cover these things. There's an article that was posted in response, and it is posted in, oh, what is the, uh, this is the uh, Civil Rights and Liberties and Justice website, uh, Religion and Values website. It's, um, it's a progressive website. Um, this article, they don't even cite the author, and I hate that when people post stuff or when some organization posts an article and doesn't cite the author. So I can't tell you who wrote this because the website doesn't identify um, doesn't identify that. But the um, the website does continuously talk about faith and equality, family recognition, LGBT rights, religion and values. That's the nature of this website. The title of the article is Four Things You Didn't Know About God and Same-Sex Marriage. The subtitle is Christians Who Oppose Same-Sex Marriage Says It Goes Against Biblical uh, Conception of Marriage and Sexuality, But They're Wrong. Hmm, okay. And the, the photograph for the article has people protesting for gay marriage. This was written before the Obergefell decision. It was written at the time that was being debated, uh, very robustly in our nation, and now it's now we've just set it aside as as if well, let's just move on. It's a terrible decision, by the way, and I would hope, frankly, and I would pray that someday we would recognize that that decision was not well founded and is not grounded and supported by the Constitution of the United States. Now, again, if you want to do something unbiblical in your bedroom, fine. I disagree with it. I think it's wrong, but. If you, what you do in your private life is your business, and I don't think it should be illegal unless you're abusing somebody else against their will. Um, I would say that to heterosexuals and homosexuals. I would say that to anybody. If you want it to be private, shut your bedroom door and stop bringing it out into the public square. We wouldn't know about it if you didn't keep talking about it. We wouldn't have to respond to it if you would keep it where it belongs. Okay? So, Some Christians listening to me may feel uncomfortable with that. You may feel as if we should be speaking against what goes on in the privacy of someone's bedroom. Well, I do think we should be speaking about sexual morality in the church, but I don't think it should be illegal. I don't think our Constitution makes bad sexual choices, consensual sexual choices between adults, um, a legal issue. So I'm not arguing... um, I'm not arguing differently here. What I am saying is this ongoing drumbeat that the Bible is silent on this issue and that we shouldn't speak out about the consequences of sin is just a bunch of baloney. Let's go through what this article says. Um, The first point that this author makes, I assume it's a female, but I don't know for sure. I just can't tell. Again, they don't cite the author. Uh, Ridiculous. Just ridiculous the way things are posted without the authors citing. 
Um, the first point made is there are few biblical verses that address homosexuality at all, and most of those are not directed at homosexuality per se. She goes on to say this, opponents of same-sex marriage routinely cite seven verses in the Bible as condemning homosexuality and calling it sin. But when taken in context, these lessons speak not against homosexuality itself, but rather against rape, child molestation, bestiality, and other practices that hurt others and compromise a person's relationship with God. Is that true? No. No, this is a constant response from the left that the Bible is relatively silent on this issue and that it doesn't even address homosexuality per se, and that it's only speaking against um, temple prostitution, child molestation, bestiality, and against rape. No, that's not true. That's simply not true. I've told you before that the word homosexuality doesn't even exist in the Bible. I've told you before that that's a word that was coined in the 1860s, It was coined by a homosexual activist who wanted to shift the narrative from behavior to being. He wanted to shift the discussion from things that we do to this is who we are. He did this in the 1860s. Rosaria Butterfield today calls this a 19th century categorical error. He was shifting this context, this narrative, so that we could start talking about a group of people because that is what they are as opposed to this is a decision that we make, a behavioral choice that we make. Like Gore Vidal says, there's no more such thing as a homosexual person than a heterosexual person. These are behavioral adjectives. So this whole conversation of homosexuality versus heterosexuality didn't exist until the 1860s. Go look it up. You go get a dictionary that's prior to 1860s and try to find the word homosexual. You won't. You won't. You'll find words like sodomy. You'll find words that refer to behaviors. You won't find the word homosexual because it wasn't even coined until then. A lot of you listening to me right now, if you haven't heard my earlier show on this, you're probably saying, is that true? Well, go get a Webster's Dictionary or an Oxford Dictionary pre-1860 and try to find the word. You will not find it. So when they say that the Bible is relatively silent on this stuff and they're playing games with you by suggesting that the Bible doesn't even address homosexuality, you've got to ask the question, what are you referring to? Are you referring to the coining of this word? Well, obviously the Bible doesn't refer to it pre-1860s because the word didn't exist in those days. So the translations of the Bible that predate 1860 would not have referred to this. They would have referred to other behaviors, and they would have said these are wrong. And when the Bible condemns this stuff, it never speaks to the condemnation of rape, child molestation, bestiality, etc. Yes, the Bible would condemn those things by name, but it never equated those things with sodomy, the homosexual act. Okay, do you get my point? So they are saying something in this article that simply isn't true, where they say there are a few Bible verses that address homosexuality, but most of them are not directed at homosexuality per se, but at rape, child molestation, bestiality, etc. Okay, that's not true. Ask them to give you proof of that claim. They can't. Ask them if they 
understand that the word homosexual didn't even exist prior to 1860, and, a, and obviously the Bible wouldn't have referenced that word before it existed. It was referencing an action, a behavior, a choice, and the Bible made it clear that it was condemned. Another thing is they say that there, there's only a few clobber verses. This particular author claims there's only seven. This ignores the fact that it's not just Paul condemning it or Levitical law condemning it. It ignores the fact that Jude speaks to it, and I've covered it this week, and that Peter speaks to it, and I've covered this week. And it ignores the fact, and I'll refute uh, this author's point number two here. She says that Jesus never said a word against homosexuality. Well, Jesus never said a word about using heroin either, but do you think it's a good idea to do it? Jesus never said uh, anything against a lot of stuff that exists today that we probably shouldn't do. Jesus never said anything about ripping a child out of the womb via a medical process that um, is called partial birth abortion. He never addressed that specifically because it wasn't something that was being done at the time because medically they didn't have the tools to do it. But do you think Jesus would have condoned that? There's a lot of stuff Jesus didn't address. He didn't address using cocaine. He didn't address heroin. He didn't address drunk driving or looking at porn on your iPhone. Uh, Do you get my point? There's a lot of stuff that Jesus didn't speak to in the Bible that obviously would be contrary to the entire teachings of the Bible, the principles of the Bible. And just because the Bible or Jesus is silent on that particular issue or that particular thing, or technology, if you will, doesn't mean we should go out there and start getting high on cocaine and heroin and meth and start uh, just uh, imbibing pornography on our iPhones and laptops all the time and exonerate ourselves of it and try to expunge our conscience of any guilt for doing so because Jesus doesn't speak to those issues. I mean, this, this argument that Jesus doesn't talk about it is absurd, logically, but it's also inaccurate. I've told you before that Jesus does address the issue of sexual immorality very bluntly and very specifically in Revelation 21, as the Bible is concluded, one of the final things that Jesus says is this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is the passage where Jesus is specifically referencing his judgment, his judgment at the end of days. Not a group hug. He's not talking about a group hug at the end of days. He's talking about the last judgment. And, and we're concluding the Bible with Jesus saying, I am God, I am the beginning and the end, and I will judge people at the end of days. And outside, he says, will be the dogs, those who practice sexual immorality and deception. Ah, but you say, that doesn't refer to homosexuality. He says sexual immorality. Th- that's true. He doesn't say homosexuality. He uses an umbrella term at that point of sexual immorality. And nobody in their right mind, even a liberal scholar or theologian, would argue that the homosexual act isn't included underneath that umbrella. Of course it is. Yes, it is. All of the people that were reading that passage that was transcribed by the Apostle John Per the revelation of Jesus on the island of Patmos, all of the people reading this particular letter from John at that time in the first century church would have understood that the word pornea included all of this stuff. 
Yes, rape, child molestation, bestiality, adultery, fornication, and, and the homosexual act, which at the time was a word that Paul himself coined. And it wasn't homosexual, it was arson coitus, arson coitus. And I've talked about this before. That's a word that Paul coined when he wrote to the Romans and the Corinthians, the Romans and the Jews who were engaged in sexual activities that were contrary to the family of God, to the standards that God had set down from Genesis through Revelation. Now, Paul speaks to those churches, those Gentile churches, those Romans, those Greeks, and he says, you guys need to stop this stuff. If you're going to embrace the way of God, if you're going to be part of the body of Christ, part of the church, you can't engage in arson coitus anymore. What's arson coitus? Well, he takes two words that in the Greek Septuagint are used in Leviticus to prohibit male sex, arson coitus male sex. And why does Leviticus prohibit male sex? It's a reference to male-on-male sex, arson coitus. It's from that Greek word that Paul coined as he was trying to explain to the first century Christians that were coming out of the Greek and Roman culture that this has been part of your practice. This has been part of the acceptable way of living within your communities. And if you want to become part of the community of Christ, then you've got to set that stuff aside. Stop engaging in stuff that is unhealthy to your community, to your family, to your wife, because it's, un it's unhealthy for you and her to engage in this stuff. Because these guys were engaging in sexual activity that brought disease and dysfunction into the family. It was disrespectful, in particular to their wives, because their wives were getting sick because of the things that these guys were doing. I mean, that's one of the reasons Paul says to the Greeks and Romans, stop doing this. And he's trying to explain to them why it's always been prohibited if you want to be part of the church or the family of God. And in this case, the first century church, the church of Christ, the body of Christ. So to say that the Bible doesn't address this stuff is just wrong. It's a lie. And these liberal articles are so poorly grounded. It's terrible exegesis. It's a terrible interpretation and application of Scripture. It's ignorant. And if you were trying to defend this at Michigan State University in a dissertation, if your dissertation committee knows anything about the book that you're referring to, they'd laugh you out of the room. And they'd say, you need to go back and do some more homework because you obviously don't understand the etymology of the words that you're using and your interpretation and application of those words as you conclude your research. Your research is garbage. Uh, we're not going to give you a degree because you're either unethical, you're lying about the things that you know are not true, or you're ignorant, you didn't do your homework. And neither of those things warrant, warrant acknowledgement as a true scholar. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.